Hello, Internet friend. I'm David Ravel, and this is ValueSide for Monday, September 25. For all of our articles and podcasts, visit valueside.com. Well, today, September in Moscow. Don't stay too long. For many of us, the autumn is our favorite time of the year. The humidity and high temperatures of summer are behind us now, and we can enjoy pleasant temperatures and often fair skies. That's exactly how it is in Moscow, Russia currently. The weather forecast for the rest of September calls for a light breeze, with temperatures in the high 60s and 70s. Napoleon found the same kind of weather when he was there in the autumn of 1812. He had just conquered most of western Russia and was enjoying September in Moscow. But he stayed too long. Now you're undoubtedly familiar with the ancient parable for want of a nail. Many authors from Shakespeare to Benjamin Franklin have used it to describe that small missing piece that leads to ultimate defeat. For want of a nail, the horse was lost, the rider was lost, the message was lost, the battle was lost, and ultimately the kingdom was lost. Many have used this parable to describe Napoleon's disastrous invasion of Russia, known as the Patriotic War of 1812. Napoleon had assembled the most fearsome army in the world. He had at his command an army of more than 450,000 battle-hardened soldiers, 25,000 wagons, and 1,400 of the most potent artillery pieces, a force that eclipsed the Russians by at least double. Now, predictably, the Grand Army swept through western Russia in the section that is now Belarus. Throughout the summer, the French continued their advance, although the Russians put up a tremendous fight in withdrawing. Knowing that a brutal Russian winter was just weeks away, and wanting to save as many fighting men as possible, Russian General Mikhail Kusov ordered a full retreat, ordering his troops to abandon the city of Moscow. Now, the same strategy, incidentally, that another Russian general, Alexander Dornikov, would use 210 years later as he ordered his troops to withdraw, this time from previously captured territory in the heart of Ukraine. The vaunted counter-strike by the Ukrainians was making all the headlines, if you recall, last September. But like Napoleon, today's Ukrainian leaders may have been premature in declaring victory. Napoleon, you see, so enjoyed the pleasant weather that the 1812 autumn in Moscow had provided that he decided to spend a few extra weeks. That proved to be a fateful miscalculation. In days, the dreadful Russian winter descended on the French troops. The realization hit that the Grand Army was ill-prepared for this onslaught of nature. Their uniforms were inadequate for the cold, food was short, and military hospitals few and far between. Those vaunted artillery pieces were now just dead weight that had to be slogged behind as the troops struggled to return to France. In the end, weapons, guns, and equipment were abandoned as the soldiers perished in the bitter cold. The invincible army that invaded Russia barely a year earlier became a ragtag mob of just one quarter the size as they returned home. Now, for generations, poets and musicians would celebrate the Russian victory over Napoleon. Peter Tchaikovsky would write the 1812 Overture in Celebration, a concert now heard worldwide, 
here in the United States, we often hear his music on Independence Day to the accompaniment of fireworks. Now the lessons from this victory are profound to the Russians and go to their very soul. We see how different their strategy has been in Ukraine than that of NATO's. For instance, the Western allies, and chiefly the United States, have measured victory or defeat by how many kilometers of territory each side has won. In that Ukrainian counteroffensive of a year ago, Time magazine declared, quote, the Ukrainian counterstrike that turned the tide of the war, as if Ukraine had already won the conflict. Unfortunately, a year later, we can see that has not been the case. On the other hand, the Russians have visualized this conflict as a war of attrition, willing to give up territory while preserving their forces and inflicting harm on the Ukrainians. They employ the same strategy in the pivotal battle for Bakhmut. Here, the territory was irrelevant. For months, the Russians and Ukrainians fought over just a few square kilometers in a tiny village far from any real strategic targets. Both sides were suffering casualties, but the Ukrainians to a withering extent. Now, the Russians were able to employ their most lethal weapon in this conflict, artillery. With their troops out of the line of fire, protected, and utilizing state-of-the-art satellite and drone telemetry, the Russians could rain down a withering hail of fire on the Ukrainian troops. Although the exact numbers are not currently available, it is estimated that in the initial stage of this war, and in Bakhmut, the Russians were firing between 50 and 60,000 high-impact artillery shells daily, numbers far greater than Western war planners thought was possible. In contrast, American production of its most widely used artillery shell, the 155mm, stood at just 14,000 per month when the war began. The Americans produced these shells out of just a few factories nationwide, including their premier General Dynamic factory up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, a factory that started operations 60 years ago. And to say that the Americans can't keep up is an understatement. On any given day, the Russians can launch the same number of artillery shells before noon as the Americans produce in a month. Now, the American inability to supply Ukraine with conventional weapons has led to some ominous decisions because we've given the Ukrainian army virtually all of our entire stock of 155mm artillery shells. The Department of Defense has declared that we have no more to give. In its place, President Biden has elected to send depleted uranium shells, a munition that has been considered a health hazard for years when left on an abandoned battlefield. This administration has been telling us that the Russians are losing the war for months and that the Ukrainian victory lies just around the corner. Now, we've supplied Ukraine with billions of dollars, yet we still need more artillery shells to give them. As we all know, money is a beautiful asset, but for Ukraine, only if they can purchase the weapons they've requested. Last week, President Zelensky was in this country asking for weapons and financial support. Reports are that he was not successful. 
It appears that the U.S. Congress is growing increasingly restless in its support for Ukraine. And why not? Currently, the United States is spending more annually on Ukraine than it did either in the Vietnam War or the Afghanistan conflict. Based on the current published spending to date for Ukraine, our yearly spending rate is $75 billion. While the yearly spend rate for Vietnam, converted to today's dollars, was $58 billion. And for Afghanistan, again converted to current dollars, the annual spend rate was $43 billion. Further, both of those conflicts had obtained congressional approval. The Tonkin Gulf Resolution for Vietnam and the Authorization for Military Force, the AUMF, for Afghanistan. This allowed Congress to provide financial support within the framework of those two resolutions. This administration argues that there are no American troops on the ground in Ukraine, and so congressional authorization is not needed. A fine distinction at best, made all the more questionable with a review of the level of support the U.S. military is currently supplying to Ukraine. It is reported that tactical and strategic support is supplied by NATO and the Americans, as well as battlefield surveillance. There are even rumors that out-of-uniform American personnel are currently operating in-country. Biden is walking a very narrow path, all to avoid any congressional oversight. The current support for Ukraine is squarely on Biden's shoulders. Now, like Napoleon two centuries ago, Zelensky is running out of supplies. The fact that he spent the week in America asking for more aid says that things are becoming very tight for the Ukrainian army. Summer is over now, and with it, Ukraine's summer offensive. As it ended, Ukraine looks undersupplied, still asking for more from America. While across the battle lines, the Russians remain implacable. They are still shelling the Ukrainian troops, extracting a terrible price in both casualties and Ukrainian lives. Perhaps it's time for the leaders of NATO and Ukraine to remember the lessons of Napoleon. While September in Moscow can see fair weather, don't stay too long. It's followed by that brutal Russian winter. And that's Value Side for Monday, September 25. For all of our articles and podcasts, visit valueside.com. I'm David Ravel. ValueSide is independently written and researched. The views expressed are strictly my own.